Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Simon? Robin, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Is it too late for all that? I never know. Some people get a bit stressy when you're sort of saying Happy New Year after like the fourth. I think it's all right if you haven't seen the person for Ah, a while and it's still in January. I think February's probably kind of past the sell-by date, isn't it? All right. Fair enough. Well, Happy New Year. Thank you very much. Do you have a good break? Yes, absolutely. And do you know how I measure whether I had a good break or not? This is very geeky and sad. Um, on my Mac, I have an app called Rescue Time. I don't know if you've seen it, but it kind of, I don't think I'll need this with the new version of uh, OS X, but it kind of logs what um, programs you're using and what you're doing. And then at the end of the at the end of the week, it sends you an email to tell you what where you've been for most of your time um, and whether you've been very distracted or this sort of thing. And I don't pay too much attention to it most of the time. But one thing it does is if you haven't used your if you haven't used your laptop, for example, for a week, at the end of the week it sends you an email and goes, I hope you were away enjoying yourself, otherwise something's broken. Um, <laughs> and uh, I got two of them. So that means I didn't touch anything for two weeks. So that's pretty good. I wasn't quite as good as that. Um, but I did manage to have a nice bit of time when I think there was a good few days where I just turned my phone off. Oh, really? Or I, I didn't know where it was. Um, yeah. And that's, that's typical timing. Like my folks would then give me a ring. <laughs> so I turned it back on on a Sunday evening. So oh, I better give them a ring. You know, everyone expects your phone to be on all the time. So you then have to explain that you've turned your phone off for the weekend just so that you can hang out with the kids and do stuff. But yeah, it was good. It kind of freaks me out when parents ring. I always think there's <laughs> something wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else did I do over Christmas? Um, it was a lot of thinking and sort of like planning and strategizing yeah, and that sort of not, thing. Not too much. My okay. challenge, my challenge though, is because my desk is on my landing, um, it's always kind of there. So when I started uh, started upstream last year, my wife was saying, "Well, you need you need to go somewhere to go to work um, so that you can focus." Um, rather than just being in your house and seeing yeah. that you've got to clean the kitchen and stuff. And I was like, no, 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 it's fine. I'll be able to focus. And I have been very good at focusing on work. What I've not been so good at is closing the door at the end yes. of the day. And it's like, because it's a problem. And then you wake up on a Saturday and then you've kind of sorted the kids out to go wherever they're going. And then you've got 30 minutes and your brain's like, ah, oh, that problem you were working on yesterday. And you're like, no, go away. Um, so I've been, I've struggled to put it down has been my challenge. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I I have a, I've got an office in the house, but like you say, and and you can close the door to some extent, but um, the it's the more the mental switch off. Um, I don't think I'd do it even if I went somewhere else. You know, if I went to an office and then came back, I, st- I still don't think I'd switch off. I tell you what, I do miss. I used to have like a commute that was about an hour, and I used to come up with all my best ideas on that commute and on the way back. Um, it was a good time for good good thinking time. I kind of miss out on. I kind of miss that a little bit. Did you manage to catch the episodes? Yes, I did. Very interesting. Good homework. It was my homework. It would be there'd be no excuses for me turning up uh, on this show having not done my homework. Would there? That would be no. a very short. You could wing awkward. it, I guess. Uh, yeah, I think it would be uh, quite evident to everybody listening that I hadn't heard the other podcast. There's not much winging. I think yeah. um, you can't. You know, I could just be sitting and nodding my head, but that doesn't really come across. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> good job I've done it. And uh, it was interesting. Um, I liked um ricardo's and his surfboards um that was the thing that was it was what i can't remember what the other episode was but there was another episode you did that had a link to somebody else's oh that was it it was kurt and the um the wave park and i was going through it going ask him about ask him about sph ask him about smooth particle hydrodynamics and he did and i was happy um and it was the same with ricardo it's like um he's doing the surfboards Maybe he needs to talk to Kurt. Talk about the wave parks, and then you did. So that was cool. There's an equivalent to the kind of thing that Kurt does, but with moving waves. So they drag a big thing through the uh, through a body of water and create a breaking wave, as opposed to a standing wave, if you like. Um, and uh, apparently they were 
fairly heavily CFD'd, as he mentioned. So uh, maybe there'll be a, a chance to talk to uh, somebody about that. That'd be cool. That would be cool. I mean, it's funny. Uh, so the, that touches on one of the things that I think you and I both wanted to have a chat about, which was the whole, how do you set, how does Ricardo set up his waves before or during he puts the surfboards on them? Um, that feels like a big enough job in itself without worrying about the surfboard dynamics. Yeah, I reckon. In fact, while we're well, seeing as we're on it, let's let's come at the episodes back to front. So we'll start with uh, we'll start with the Ricardo ones. Yeah, absolutely. It does it does feel like. I mean, I wouldn't even know where to start. Um, I mean, that's that's probably that comes as no surprise to a regular listener. Um, but yeah, there's like there's a two fairly hefty problems there, and uh, you you kind of coming at them at the the nexus of those two, and uh, yeah, not enviable, but um, interested. Gone for the uh, the overset approach, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and I guess um, that feels like where I would start, just because of the moving free surface. And I don't know if the wave—that's the thing—is the wave breaking? Has he has he done something similar to what you were saying, which was nice big domain, and then kind of shoves the wall at one side in, creates a nice wave that moves along, and then gets about halfway through and goes, "Oh, that looks nice. I'll just plop a surfboard on the middle of it." Um, I mean, that's kind of philosophically where I'd start, but I'm sure there's some practical stuff that that would uh, that would make that challenging. Yeah, um, I've got to put my hands up and say I did an absolutely terrible job of digging into the details of this. <laughs> Just the fact that he was doing it was kind of the it was about as far as I'd got. Um, so yeah, I wonder whether the uh, whether it is fully breaking, if you like, or whether the wave's almost a fixed feature and they're they're moving a surfboard around on it. Um, I don't know. Even if he would have asked, I would have imagined it would have fallen into the category of um, a bit of secret source there. Yeah. Just because I guess you're then back to what information do I need about the performances of the fins on the surfboard and do I actually have to have a proper braking wave and do I have to um, have separate boundary conditions for where the surfer's feet are and what force they're putting on their front foot and their back foot and all that kind of stuff. And that's probably too much detail. I don't know. Maybe it's not. Um, but I guess there's, I guess there would be other ways that you'd be able to get the information you want about fin performance without having to do all of that jiggery pokery. He had some really nice. They've got some really nice um, videos, kind of animations of boards in manoeuvre, if you like. But they seem to kind of be almost on the flat, so kind of moving on a uh, um, on a free surface, but then doing a um, as though you'd shifted your weight drastically and, and carved. Uh, a turn or something like that um, listen to us too trying to be cool um but almost like you would with kind of a vehicle dynamics thing where you've got a you've got a standard maneuver that you do and then you run various configurations through that standard maneuver and see what the difference is yeah that makes good sense i guess with the overset stuff i mean he was talking about open foam right uh, yeah does that that's only in the open cfd um plus version is it i don't think oversets made it into the foundation. I was just interested with you know the slightly differing flavours. I don't think it has, but you're t- you're touching on a on an interesting subject of uh, what's in what version of a thing that's got notionally the same name um, and is a, to the casual observer might appear to be the same thing, but aren't. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Um, Foam Extend has it as well if we want to chuck yep. some, a third yep. version in there because I think that's where it came from didn't it I think it might have been there first okay uh, it probably was there first I don't know whether it was a um, a port or a fork or however you describe them so I think it's come along quite a way in those past few years um, I'd like to have a go with it to do yeah some, it's interesting uh, it's not something I've played with either no well here's um Seeing as you haven't played with it, it's probably silly for me to ask the question, but hey, that's not going to stop me. Um, I'm wondering what variety of turbulence models it works with. And does the the turbulence model have to be specifically set up or to work with oversetified? That's the technical term I was looking for. That's right. Um, I'm just interested in doing some um, automotive uh, vehicle following overtaking kind of yeah. motorway traffic type things um, and as we all know turbulence modeling is one of the uh, favorite topics for that type of work and i don't know whether it would work with the um, with some of the other rams models i'm interested well you've got nothing on your to-do list so get that on there and, <laughs> and report back 
I will do. No, it's cool. The um, I like discovering all these little kind of niche areas that area where that somebody's taking advantage of CFD and, uh, and doing something cool. The the thought of mine of all mention what Kurt was doing with the wave park stuff. Um, I ended up having a crazy idea. So oh, Ricardo was on a it, well. I think towards the end of the podcast, Ricardo was on about doing something where you could end up having a, like a user customized fin or something. Um, I think he was talking about correlating. Um, I don't know whether user experience isn't the right phrase, but it's the one that's jumping to my mind. Kind of how people, how surfers react and respond to different fin geometries and doing some correlations to the kind of uh, pressure profiles or, you know, the performance numbers he gets out of the CFD. So I was wondering if you could, if you could kind of combine what he does with what Kurt does in a bit of 3d printing and you build this kind of custom water park 3d printing place where you come in and you've got one of those kind of motorized surfboards on the, the electronic mounts, you know, like the rodeo bulls. Oh yeah. 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 Not, not, not a bull, a surfboard. Um, and you get on and it kind of moves around a bit and you see how good you are at surfing and the computer works out how good you are at surfing and then figures out what a good fin geometry for your surfboards will be. And then you go and have a coffee, uh, probably not a beer because you won't be allowed on the water. Um, and in the meantime, there's a 3D printer that's printing your custom fin geometries that then gets mounted onto a uh, one of the boards they've got there. While that's happening, you've got Kurt or someone like Kurt designing what the hydraulic jump in the water park needs to be for you and that board to go on. And then you put all three of those things together and you've got people who like surfing getting custom boards with custom waves um, having a great time. Oh, mega i like it i assume you've protected that idea uh, well <laughs> I, after i had it and i knew we were going to talk about it uh i haven't but i think we just get first dibs on the claims of the idea right in the non-legal sense of here's the podcast where we figured it out absolutely i don't mind that i'm not i'm not worried about the ip as long as if you know some not if when somebody makes something that's going to do that because it's obviously so cool as long as i can turn up and see it and go yeah that was my idea i'm happy with that interesting idea though in terms of i um i've heard a few people talking about some interesting sort of uses of of this kind of i think i've heard it called mass customization which is a kind of weird weird name for it but um where you would combine some sort of simulation data with your very specific data be that your measurements or your skill level or your particular um biomechanics or whatever that might be to come up with something that's that's optimized for you um and a, a lot of that that i've seen involves sort of doing maybe huge design of experiment runs of cfd and then distilling that down to some sort of lookup after the fact but um I'm going to swerve into the next topic by saying, is there some application for kind of an AI element there that you, you kind of, you develop that massive training data set and then you use the, uh, the AI to be able to either produce a, a new simulation of something that you haven't run or just to, as a sort of optimization helper to, um, to, to lead you down that path. Cause you have a little inside track on some AI stuff, don't you? And it circles us around to uh, diabetics. That's right. So, I mean, I think um, the thread you've started there is uh, stuff is is the sort of stuff that people are starting to think about. The thing for me is you can get lots of data from your CFD simulations or your experiments or whatever, but I think you would need a similar amount of data about the. Um, I don't know human characteristics, biomechanics, all the other things you mentioned. Um, so that you can kind of match across the big two data sets. I think that's where the AI gets really useful because that's the bit that I think makes it different from what you might describe as a classic optimization problem. So it's relatively easy with the tools to that we've got already to dig into a massive CFD data set and go, you want this fin, for example. The read across to something else, like you say, like the skill level for the surfing or your biomechanics, That's the that's the trick, is it? Yes, yeah, so that you'd have to then have the skill level or the biomechanics or some quantifiable feedback from the person that says this was that good for this reason. So, you know, you need some you need some characteristic for the AI to latch onto. Um, 
And then you'd need lots of people of different skill sets and heights and biomechanics giving lots of different feedback across the big CFD design space. Um, and then the AI can kind of mix and match between those two, um, as opposed to just having Robin turns up um, and the CFD needs to optimize the surfboard for Robin. Um, that's kind of, I don't think that's really You'd have to put massive right. outriggers on it and then inflatable. <laughs> Well, there you go then. Um, I mean, that's, for me, that feels more like a classic optimization problem. If you've yeah. got one person and you know you want to maximize that one person's performance, satisfaction, whatever it is. Um, but the AI side is more about aligning and finding correlations between big data sets. So I think if you're going to have a big CFD surfboard performance data set, you'd need a similarly big. Um, Robin plus Simon plus Barry plus James, et cetera, et cetera, um, person data set for it to then do the correlation. Otherwise, it would just be spending loads of time doing what you'd otherwise do in optimization. optimization. Go, there you go, Robin, that's the board you want. It's like, well, oh, did you do that? Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, so you want the ability so that then once it knows enough about correlations between people's height, age, biomechanics, whatever it is, skill level, that you just have to measure a new person. And it says, yeah, here you go, this is the board design for you. Um, but you'd need to go through that loop lots of times, right? So you'd have to train it by giving it, I don't know, a good sized data set. That's really the thing from my experience um, in the AI field is that you really need a good amount of data if you want to get accurate prediction. Are we talking like as in an order of magnitude more than you'd need to do an optimization, for example? At a very high level with a bit of hand waving, I'd say yes. Yeah it very much comes down to what level of uncertainty are you prepared to tolerate on your predictions? And if you want, uh, you know, plus or minus 0.1 of a percent, then you're going to need a lot of data. If you're happy with plus or minus 5%, you don't need as much data. So it's very much kind of a fit for purpose thing of how, you know, how confident do I need to be? Do I need to be ballpark to get a design direction or do I really need, you know, drag coefficients to the second decimal? That's the that's the main driver for how much data you need. So if you want Barry to turn up um, and give his height, um, his inside leg measurement, uh, and how and how good he is at surfing, and you want the AI to give him a board that he's going to love straight off the bat, then you need to have done that lots of times with lots of Barrys. Yeah, I don't know that many Barrys. No, I don't think I know any Barrys. Anyway, sorry, a couple of Garys. Yeah, um, <laughs> we um, we've got a bit kind of hand wavy and a bit high hypothetical about our i mean i got an email this morning about business funding maybe we can talk to that guy and get this custom board thing off the ground anyway put that to one side nobody else who's listening it's not available that idea i've got it how about diabetics let's uh, yeah if we if we uh talk about what they're doing with their one what did you uh what did you extract from that from that episode so i really enjoyed the fact that it's um Quite a very, it is a very serious and hard application of AI. It's very easy to um, find lots of examples of principles where people think it would be a good idea, but I haven't seen like lots and lots of applications. No, me um, either. I'd seen like so, two. So I was super happy to see one, um, and you know, not a not a um, in principle application, but a hard, realistic no look. It's a business here. Here's the results. It works. This is what it does. Um, so that part of it, I thought, was uh, was enjoyable just to kind of see some fruits of the labour and fruits of the potential hype of the field um, coming to play. Um, interested that it was in Belgium. Um, <laughs> you've got to, you, yeah, you've got to give them credit. Um, they're doing pretty well, aren't they? They are. Belgium's ace. I love Belgium. If I was going to start a company that wasn't here, then maybe I'd think about doing it in Belgium. Great beer. Yeah. Maybe Switzerland, Switzerland, Belgium. Switzerland's close enough, isn't it? Yeah. No, no I'm going Belgium. Okay. We'll meet in the middle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh. I liked how they were, um, it was a sort of, it was a, a slightly different business model as well. So it wasn't straight up consulting. 
they weren't selling the code that they developed. Um, it wasn't a SaaS product, you know, software as a service online cloudy thing. It was kind of an amalgam of a, a few different things where they, uh, this kind of IP was their sort of secret source and enables them to do something that nobody else can do. And I've not seen that for a while. No. And then back to what we were talking about a minute ago, which was then, you know, it's a very, that IP allows to allows them to do some things which solve real problems that lots of experienced people in the field are struggling with and understand. Um, you know, that's um, that's kind of where you want to be, isn't it? You've, you've got the next the next method, the evolution in the methodology, and it's real. And lots of people who are struggling with that problem very specifically want to get on board. So um, to kind of then take it out of the IP space and put it into the practical solves problems um, for all the people worried about thermal characteristics and cooling problems um super good which is a hot topic <laughs> boom boom you don't get many opportunities so you know <laughs> fill your boots um so the bit that uh, i found interesting looking at some of their videos was um i think it was the first one that you put on the website with the um cooling plate and the inlet and the outlet and then their software decides where to make the boundaries for the uh, for the channels yeah it just goes into a void and then magic things happen it does um, so i i'd love to know i'd love to know something about their ip and their methods because that just seems no, they're gonna tell you of course they're not but just kind of conceptually how it it, it wasn't it wasn't like uh if you thought it was 2d and it's pretty much 2d if you're looking for the top it wasn't like the ai was just looking at a discretized grid in 2d and going i'll put a wall there in that cell or i'll put a wall there in that cell and then just kind of starting from if you like individual pixels of geometry it was like no i'm going to put a big block here and it's immediately going to be streamlined okay (laughs) that's quite just that's quite cool and just in terms of how it started but the bit that i found really interesting was if you look where it starts to play with the geometry it starts to play with the geometry first on the left hand side um and then it doesn't change it too much over there whilst it's building the other stuff. So I was just interested with it must be really confident that what it's done first on the left-hand side is always the right thing to do. And then the other bits are kind of adding the 20% to the 80% to use some of the terminology that we've talked about in the past. And I was just, it would have been more interesting to me if it had then started to fill in the other bits and gone, oh, no, that bit I did at the start, I don't like that anymore and kind of gone back to change it. So there was a kind of the time element of the, of the which bits it decides to do in which order and then change them or not change them was super interesting. I mean, I've got no idea what it was doing, but I wonder from that point of view whether that animation follows like a specific kind of branch of development, whether there were other ones where it took something away from the inlet and then quickly decided that, no, this is not the way to go and put it back again. Yeah, and I guess that raises the other interesting point of like, how many of those movies could they have generated for that one application? And maybe that was the best one or, you know, or wherever that one sits into whether it was the optimum or not. The kind of critical um, path. Exactly. So, I mean, uh, I, I would imagine, and it would be nice to see if that was the optimum. And then you said, okay, well, how many different designs could you get if you were happy to show 5% off the optimum performance? Cause then you're into manufacturing cost efficiency. But I think, um, it sounds like from your conversation that they were all on top of that already. So yeah. the designs that their system might come up with may not be the optimum in terms of um, cooling performance, but the optimum compromise in terms of a good enough cooling performance for manufacturability and part cost, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, because that is quite often either forgotten about or left behind. The people doing the CFD are quite often not fully over how it's going to be manufactured the number of things yeah. i've seen pop out of cfd that you can't make for example um, yes is uh, non-trivial no i've i've seen those conversations before where someone's done some analysis and gone oh if you do it like this then it'll be 10 percent better <laughs> and the guys doing the manufacturing are just like well that'll never work you'll never make that um that's a that's a kind of implementation issue i guess in general um, product development stuff but it sounds like these guys have kind of got that front and center which you'd have to have otherwise they would just be the person that comes up with the super performing design that you can never make but the fact yeah. that you can make it and it's all in there is is you know it's that's the great thing about what they're up to and i guess that's got to be got to come from having spent so much time talking to uh, customers that seemed to be like the uh, day one job 
out we go, let's yes. go and talk to some people who's going to use this. That's not always the case. I mean, in, in hindsight, it makes perfect sense, but it's certainly not what everybody does all the time. No, but then, like you said, in terms of understanding your customers, it's a case of, oh, so there's these really experienced people who um, understand thermals, they do some CFD, um, but it's not just about getting them to do better CFD or better engineering or better design with some AI in there. Um, in terms of the thermal performance, it's about giving them a tool that allows them to go to their internal customers, manufacturing colleagues, and say, look, this is better and you can make it. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's where the win really comes from. Pop your AI, pop your, yeah, yeah, tripping over my words. Put your AI hat on if you've got one. I assume you have. Um, are the robots coming? Um, I think some are coming. Are they coming for I us? I don't. Well, it depends. so I'm gonna I'm gonna revert back to my uh, previous philosophy around um, best tool for the job. I think they are coming. I'm not entirely sure they're going to be. Um, self-aware um i think they're going to help us solve some problems and the diabetic example is a really good one of you can you can use the robots to solve a particular problem when you've got a good understanding of what it is and you can help the help the robots learn how to do it i'm not sure they're going to get everything um certainly some of the uh, more scary stories about taking over all these bits and bobs are feel a bit unrealistic for me i think i think there's going to be some places where their abilities to improve performance in hearts processes like this example is going to be really good um and other places they're not um i can give you i'll, I'll go a little bit off piste if that's all right um Always. and i'll tell you tell you a story uh from december so um are you sitting comfortably children yeah, this may go on for a while. Um, so uh, the the reason for for the start of the story is that I decided to move my telly into the kitchen and stick it on the wall, and I wanted my laptop to talk to the telly. Um, so I got one of those Google Chromecast things to plug into the back of the telly. So far, so good. And I got the Go- the Google Chromecast Ultra, which has got four K resolution. So if you've got four K laptop, then you can get four K on your telly. Um, the genius thing is that uh, they've designed it in such a way that uh, the device can only be powered by the uh, wall socket adapter that comes with it. You oh, can't really? just plug. You can't just yeah. If you if I hadn't gone for the four K version, I could have just USB powered it off the USB socket on the back of the telly. But because I went for the Ultra four K one. It's got to be wall socket powered. And Google have been so clever that they've uh, made it only work when you use the uh, wall socket adapter that they provide with it, which, guess what, is much too big to fit behind a wall-mounted TV <laughs> on the wall. Um, so I thought, okay, brilliant, I'll send it back. Um, so you go to Google Store um, and you say, yeah, return it. And they'll go, oh, we'll send you an email with the return instructions. Nothing. Uh, and this is a longer story that I won't bore you with. Uh, but the um, the point I was coming to was I'm that still here. As, as part of me trying to figure out what had gone wrong, I went onto their uh, chat online chat on the Google Store, which unsurprisingly um, is uh, hosted by AI bots. Um, and the AI bots was being very friendly and saying, "Oh, we've uh, we've elevated your concern to the specialist team." Um, the problem was just that they couldn't send me an email with the uh, with the return information in. Um, and despite being very polite, they just didn't take, you know, the AI wasn't understanding that I wanted some action taken. So I, I asked the AI if, um, she was human. Um, and she responded, I am, no, I'm a human, but I apostrophe N, um, and then auto corrected herself twice in a way to try and make me think she was human because she'd made a grammatical error and then corrected it. Um, so that's that was that was my AI example of um, the that's technology going. Well, it is, um, and she obviously wasn't a human because she did not have any grasp of the details of what I was asking for. Um, Don't worry, she's not listening. No, it's kind of funny. You start, <laughs> you start to feel slightly emotional about the situation, um, but it was a case of here's an application, uh, and I got a bit grumpy and tweeted about it. And I just said, don't worry, you know, all the all the folks that are doing good jobs in call centers, your jobs are safe because it's just simply not going to work um, in that situation. So for me, it's very much a case-specific use of AI. And I think a lot of the publicly touted, um, you know, communications assistants, 
image recognition maybe there's a lot of them that i think just won't hold water when they you know see see the light of day well i i heard an interesting take on on this sort of thing as to where where ai is coming for the jobs and that it's more likely to start on the high end than it is at the low end in terms of you're much more likely to see an application where it's i don't know assisting as opposed to replacing but assisting radiographers in spotting tumors um than it is replacing a, a call center worker or something like that because the um the benefits both financially and otherwise are much more defined and better at the high end than they are at the lower end which then leads me to think well that's a kind of more of a a knowledge-based application um a, a knowledge worker application and that's kind of what we do to some extent now are we talking about ai making it less buttons for us to press or making decisions and then we carry on pressing them you know are we are we still meshing it but we're just meshing what somebody else what the ai has told us to mesh as opposed to uh, having some input did that make sense that makes sense so i mean i wouldn't have a problem and i think it's conceivable that i'd hit the ai mesh this car for me please button um but i'd still want to see what it's done um, same, I'd imagine, with the radiographers for the cancer diagnosis. It's like the AI says that uh, thinks that this is a uh, a mammogram of somebody with uh, with cancer. The radiographer would be like, well, can I, can I just have a quick look? I'm assuming they would then still, there'd still be some other process, um, certainly in the initial release, where they'd be like, yeah, okay, I'll buy that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get to the point of, okay, every time the AI said that uh, there's a positive diagnosis, I've agreed with it, so I'll just let the AI do its thing now. And it might be the same with the, you know, with the CFD process of AI mesh this for me. And it's done it 20 times. And every time you thought, wow, that's good. Um, and you might get to the point of not checking it. but you still No, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you've, been a, you've been a senior. And I know that there's absolutely no chance that anybody at that level wouldn't go, yeah, it's good. I like what you've done. But I'm just going to, I just want to change this mesh distribution here a little bit. We can't help it. We can't help but tinker with these these sort of things. Never mind either where they came from or how good they're supposed to be. I just, yeah, it's my mesh now. I mean, yeah, I'm just going to tweak it a little bit. That's well, that's a very fair point, and I think it talks to some of the stuff I've seen about um, where AI is going to come into play. And the bit that it won't do very well is the kind of human interaction, emotional communication part so yeah i think you're right you could just um <laughs> it brings me back to the days of firing up t-grid and you know nudging nodes you could just do that and just move one node a little bit and then it like you say it's your mesh not the ai's mesh i know people are listening on tuesday or whatever but that was a that was a very friday thing to do wasn't it it was like some weird sort of 1980s space invaders type game wasn't it if you uh... it was it was kind of like you, you remember the movie Tron, the original? It was kind yeah. of like a, a very strange Tron game where you're just moving these points until the tetrahedra disappear. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to know how many listeners have uh, had that uh, had that joyful share. It'll be interesting to know how many are still doing it. Yeah, I don't I don't know what's happened. Tigrid's kind of moved on now, hasn't it? It's, uh, what have they called it? The um, Discovery Live. The, not Discovery Live, it's the meshing <laughs> the new... <laughs> that's, that's a, uh it's a very i can't remember mosaic i think it is something like that um anyway um diverting massively um the ai stuff i guess so what do you think then where do you in in five years where do you think the cfd process will be i've got i've got no idea i mean hands up i've got no idea I, i haven't seen a sort of particularly compelling sort of direction of travel, if you like. You've got people talking about um, using it in a kind of pre-processing context for for um, for generating meshes. I've heard people talking about it for using it to um, optimise solver parameters, that sort of thing. I've heard people talking about using it for um, scanning post-processing and, and the, uh, the the data that's produced to look for for features and to look for improvements and, and anomalies and, and that sort of thing. I've heard people using it to replace the simulation. So if you do enough, if you do enough runs, then your next run is a AI prediction of what it would be if you if you'd done it. Um, all of those sound reasonably compelling. Um, 
the the one that reckons it can work out what your next run is going to be the solution to your next run before you've actually run it. I mean that that's super compelling. I don't know if it, if we are going to get there or whether you're ever going to have enough data to to, to train things to do that. But um, they're they're all interesting. I just haven't seen a, a big jump in one direction or another. No, um, and I think that's a good kind of cross section of the views. The stuff that I've done. Um, Last year and still a little bit this year with uh, Monolith down in London. Hi, Monolith guys, if any of you are listening. Um, was been very much been around, the view I've seen has been very much around the data, um, and that could be CFD data, that could be engineering data, it could be data from previous design cycles, and it, it's back to the same point we talked about earlier, which is the more accurate you want your AI prediction to be, the more data you've got to give it. So, for I guess in my mind, there's a it's a good argument for using the AI to explore design spaces because, you know, that comes with the need for a good amount of data. But in terms of, you know, an isolated run of here's my here's my car that I want to take on a track or here's my aeroplane, I'd like to understand what the flow structure is and you just want to do a CFD run of it, then in order to do that CFD in AI, i.e. replace your Navier-Stokes solution with your AI algorithm, it's going to have to have seen loads of planes um, to be able to figure it out. Um, and if it has already, then great. But I don't see the point in giving it all that data just so that it can do one CFD run. Do you see what I mean? The kind of upfront cost of training the thing becomes very limiting. Absolutely. But if you're if you're Airbus and you're sat on a trove of CFD data for the last 30 years, um, and exactly. you can uh, go and dig exactly. through that in a sensible way because i guess it's statistics at the end of it isn't it mm. and it's like um i've got a i've got a bet with uh one of my friends who i see for films and a, a meal out regularly um i think i've got eight years left so a couple of years ago i bet him a hundred pounds that in 10 years uh, we'd be able to meet up uh, and we'd both be able to be transported from our houses to the cinema by summoning uh, an autonomous car on our phones uh, in both directions. This is bearing in mind you don't live in San Francisco or whatever. No, I don't live in San Francisco. Um, so, um, well, let's say I live uh, quite close to Milton Keynes, and Milton Keynes have got little AI robots that deliver your groceries for you. We can talk about that for a bit if you want. But um, I've got eight years left for, um, and I think it's probably going to be Elon Musk that does it. But the point um, that made me think about this was, and you were talking about Airbus with their. Uh, existing large data sets. I mean, that's basically what Tesla are doing, right? They're basically yeah, absolutely. Use, using all of their customers to train their AI. Um, and, you know, that gives you a feeling of the amount of data that you need. If you think about how many Teslas there are, um, there's a lot in Norway. That's another story. Um, but, you know, it's that data set size that really gives you advantage. And if you're in the position of Airbus where you've got it or in a position of Tesla where you've got a very straightforward straightforward is maybe not the right word but you know a strong means of getting it then that's really where the value sits and that's why i think it will be specific i think you'll see areas where you've either got the data or you've got um, a valid efficient cost effective way of getting the data and that's where the ai will concentrate not in the areas where getting the data becomes part of the process and there's a quicker way of doing it already i feel i feel reassured i don't think uh, i don't think it'll take us guys out of the loop for you know just yet 10, 10 years we've got 10 years right heads down look in but how much of a challenge would that be if someone's like oh oh i've made this ai i think it's i think this ai is the best at cfd how's, how's that that's a bit, it's a bit of a red flag isn't it it's like, come <laughs> on then let's have a go <laughs> let's do this well imagine the pr it's like yeah uh i beat the ai I'm better at AI than doing. Oh, what, like when they have the when they have the AI come out and play chess against the grandmasters and things exactly. like that. Exactly. If you said you you're better at CFD than the best AI in the world, you know that would be the that would be your opening page on your website, isn't it? What CFD world champion? Yeah, Love we it. do CFD better than the machines. I think you could start that awards and just award it to yourself. <laughs> Usually, about this time in the program, we would share something that we've discovered um on the interwebs in the meantime i haven't got anything and anyway i want to hear about because this is the last episode of the season i want to hear about um, what's your plan till we meet again what's my plan so my um, immediate plan is to do some hpc stuff um 
I've been playing with AWS's parallel cluster. Can I can I ask you a question? Yeah. This is you're more or less full time upstream applied science now, aren't you? You do a little yes. bit monolith stuff that you mentioned, yeah. but this is yeah. this is for you. This is for me. Um, right. And for uh, this is jumping on the. It's kind of funny. It's come back around to the uh, the democratization topic that we've um, encountered in various ways. Um, over we the, keep bumping uh, into it, don't we? We keep on bumping into it. But um, I mean, I've not really leveraged um, any of the clouds um, compute services from an HPC perspective. Interested in a minute to find out if and how you have. Um, but particularly. It was something that was a topic uh, for the automotive conference that we were talking about in December that I got poorly and couldn't go to. Oh, no. um, but there was, um, if you go to the website, um, there's some of the presentations and slides that they've shared openly. Um, and um, a lot of the, uh, one of them from the organizer, Dr. Neil Ashton, was talking about um, AWS HPC implementation and actually the fact that it got hyperlinear scaling. Yeah. So basically, it went faster than, you know, you got the idealized curve of yep. if I double my cores, it goes twice as fast. He doubled his cores and it went more than twice as fast. Yeah, I can believe um, that. Um, so that's just interesting from a kind of numerics and architecture perspective. But I thought, well, actually, um, given that we talked about it a little bit last year and that there was um, some of the talks at the AWS reInvent about it supposedly being out of the box, um, I've had a look and it's, it's pretty much out of the box. <laughs> um, it is. Um, and so uh, for me, the interest then is um, just from a, not necessarily from an upping your core count perspective, um, but from, you know, on that subject, it being out of the box, you can pretty much times your core count by two or four, keep your cost the same yeah. and get it that much quicker. So given that it's relatively easy, that feels like a bit of a no brainer. But the other thing I liked is the fact that um, it's all you know? It's got spot pricing bedded in. It's got all of this elastic fiber architecture adapter fast stuff bedded in. It's all very configurable, um, and it just means you can just run your jobs off of a SunGrid engine queue, and it just looks after starting all your instances, running your jobs, and shutting your instances down when it's finished for you. So there's just a workflow thing there. Um, so I'm interested in your views on that. I'm quite sold from my current experience of just using it for normal jobs even if i'm not doing the hpc bit um just so that it'll spin spin instances up do the stuff um and spin them down again but i don't know how that sits with you because i think you've probably still got some secret sauce in your workflow um no i think that would i think that would probably fit with me it's not something i've dug into um because it is so whilst out of the box it's only fairly recent that that box had even turned up um, yes that's true and it was a relatively kind of limited number of, of instances for example and it's not available everywhere um but no, it's definitely it's definitely interesting stuff, um, particularly with the spot, the spot pricing on Amazon Web Services. For those who don't know, you kind of you pay a fraction of the advertised price to mop up compute that's not being used. So uh, rather than have it sit around empty, you pay a cheaper price for it, but you can be kicked off at any time should the price rise. Um, should somebody else want that machine, um, which it's got pros and cons. But just to round that one off, the other thing I'm doing with HPC is also having a look um, at another interesting service I came across um, called HPC Box, um, run by a company called Dritzi.com. Uh, the reason I'm mentioning it is if anyone's interested in having a look at cloud computing for their application, those guys do a little kind of front end to the Microsoft Azure cloud services. Um meaning you don't have to worry about going on and compiling your code against the InfiniBand version and other stuff. Um, and it's just a very nice way to get a feeling for how easy, how easy it could be if you didn't have to do any of the IT stuff. Um, and they've got a promotion on at the moment where if you've got an application to test, then you can get some credits from Microsoft to run on their Azure for HPC stuff. So if anyone's interested um, and is a little bit, concerned about the potential cost of finding out whether it's something that works for them or not that could be a good route to investigate yeah absolutely i feel like you've i was going to say i feel like you've taken the cloud ball and run with it i'm not sure there is a cloud ball but you know what i mean you know but 
Uh, You're off. That, I am off. He's uh, gone. <laughs> flying into the cloud. Um, I, but for, to kind of answer your original question, the, the place I'm trying to go this year is, um, feels like I'm a broken record already, is really to be about finding the best tool for the job. So um, you and I have done CFD for a long time, both secretly love it. Um, but in some cases, you might just want to do a bit of maths instead of rolling out open phone. Um, and so for me, it's my focus is really about understanding what the problems are, and working out what the best solution is. And in some cases, that might be firing off, you know, 360 cores on parallel cluster on AWS. In some cases, it might not. So the, the focus for me this year is um, kind of building up that portfolio of different applications with regards to showing how it solves problems rather than, um, you know, you and I could spend some time doing smooth particle hydrodynamics because we're interested in it. But I'd also kind of like we were talking about with the um, diabetic stuff is getting to the point of the application having value for the end user and a particular yeah particular reason of why you've done it that way so ah oh, this is your problem yes you want to be using smooth particle hydrodynamics for that or this is your problem oh, we need to spin up some open foam on uh, aws or azure or whatever it is so that's kind of the direction i'm going in is to diversify a little bit but with that very core focus of solving problems what about you what does 2020 look like for cfd engine it's a good question um I, I mean, so I've been toying with some various ideas for quite a while and um, maybe 2020 is the time I go a bit more all in on it, but I kind of would like to diversify is the wrong word. Um, change the focus of the business from being execution to being more, I don't know, advisory. Maybe that's not the right word. Showing people how to do more or less to do what I do. Um, for themselves rather than actually doing it for them. Um, I've had a few engagements along those lines fairly recently and they are interesting, kind of more scalable from a business like mine, which is just me. As in, if I'm knee deep in a big project, then if another big project comes along, I can't do two in parallel, not not two proper, proper projects, if you know what I mean. You know, if when once you've got over the hump and you're just tickling projects along, then you can have multiple going at the time. But if, if I'm building a new race car model, I can't be building two race car models at the same time. And that's just the, uh, that's just it being me. Um, and I know the answer to that is, well, then you, you know, you get another person or you outsource it or something like that. But that's not the business that I, I want to build at the moment. And uh, the taste of of the kind of advisory business or the the showing the coaching, if you like, showing people how to how to do this for themselves was uh, was really interesting and was something I quite enjoyed and something I'd like to develop a little bit more. So if I can put the consultancy down for long enough to uh, to have a fair run at it, then maybe that's what I'll be doing this year. Oh, that sounds super interesting. So um, I guess the thing in my mind is, is that kind of open phone based or are you just at a very high level of the principles and how you'd go about, you know, with my previously described solution providing hat on, how does that look in terms of, tool sets or is it tool set agnostic no i mean historically it's been kind of um this is how so if, if you were to come to me with a uh, a problem that you needed to solve in cfd previously i'd have told you um right yeah i can do that and then here's how much it would cost for me to uh, to do that for you now i might be more likely to turn around and go yep yeah, we can do that this is how i'd go about it i can show you how to go about it I can do it and then we can um, implement it so that next time you can do it for yourself. So the kind of different levels of, of engagement, if you like. Um, and quite often they would be around building a, a similar pipeline to the, to the one I use. Um, where that's not appropriate, then maybe that's not ideally fitted to my skill set. But um, so people doing or businesses doing similar things to, to what I do. Um, that that seems to be where it's been at uh, in the in the, the the projects that I've looked at previously, or in, probably over the last year. Cool, and I guess that sounds like it's something that's going to be. Uh, I can see how that would be more satisfying for you. You know, the deliverable being rather than the results of the particular CFD you've been doing. It's the it's the fact that the guys that you've been working with can do it for themselves now, and it's. A, I guess then. You, you kind of repeat business takes on a whole different dynamic rather than, oh, you did this car for me, now can you do this car? 
So, oh, okay, now I've been doing this car, I've got to think about how to do the other car. I, yeah, I like that. That sounds like a, a very rewarding direction to go in. It it has been, and I think um, it's been it's been quite interesting from the the, the people doing it point of view because there's what's that kind of like IKEA effect of um, you know you, there's a there's a study that sort of suggests that for the the same piece of furniture the one that you put together yourself you value that people valued it more highly than the one yeah. so if you if you were given it or if you were given it and told to put it together you'd value the one that you put together yourself a little bit more highly than the other one and i think people seem to quite enjoy being helped over that hump and then being sort of self-sufficient but having somewhere to come back and go oh it's not working or hang on we, we want to we want to extend it in this way and be able to do this or we want to um we've outgrown our compute what do you reckon um and being able to to take him on that journey um because really there has never been a better i mean we're 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 examples of it really there has never been a better time to be doing your own cfd or to to be well just to be doing cfd whoever you're doing it for the access to compute the software that's available just all of it the the connectivity everything it's just it's there's never been a better time in my experience um to be to be doing it I'm not saying that's going to stick around forever, but now's a good time to be in this space, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I've had a similar thought just in the kind of wider context of engineering. Um, before we started recording, you were uh, sharing your joys of um, uh, installing some uh, Python functionality under Anaconda. And I would just, I'd just take what you've said about CFD and just broaden it out to engineering almost as a whole. Yeah. Um, the amount of capability that is just accessible you know, okay, for free, and we know why we've got uh, speech marks around free, but, you know, you can get um, scikit-learn libraries for image processing, um, you know, uh, on your computer in a, in a handful of minutes and, and get stuck into doing some image processing problem-solving. Um, the, the tool sets that are there, I think, um, for me, just make it a great time to be an engineer, let alone um, a CFD engineer. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. That was a very upbeat way to uh, kind of close out the uh, the season and the show wasn't it after the grumpy episode previously <laughs> we didn't get we didn't get too grumpy i think i think it's good that we've been able to touch on some topics that have been uh frustrating and challenging as much as the ones that um keep us going and obviously our passion for cfd kind of comes through for something like that uh from from some of those points um it's been enjoyable i've really enjoyed it yeah, I think if if we're not the only two people still listening, then uh, then hit us up. Let us know if you uh, if you enjoyed it. If we should carry on, well, we'll probably still carry on doing these anyway. But um, very good. I'm I'm about done. What about you? Yeah, I think that's been it. That's been great. Um, I've really enjoyed it. So uh, just from my side, it's um, we've been doing this for a while now, haven't we? Has it been about three months? Yeah, I think yeah, about that. About three months. It's flown. Um, super enjoy doing it. Um, super enjoy your podcasts, period. Um, you know, whether I'm involved in them or not. So um, I say to all the guests that with there's uh, no guests, no podcasts, and that same applies to you. I wouldn't sit and do this show. Uh, I mean, when I look at the waveforms when I'm editing it, it's mostly you talking and me poking you occasionally. So uh, <laughs> that's very generous of you. So I appreciate that. I appreciate anybody listening and uh, anybody who gives us their attention for however long, whether you stick out to the end of the episode and you're listening now, thank you very much, or whether you gave up earlier and you'll never hear this uh, anyway. But uh, thank you very much too. Um, so uh, Simon will prod me occasionally and maybe we'll uh, we'll bring it back for for the next season yeah hopefully i'll um, i'll give you a good uh, a good bit of downtime before uh, i start rustling you up yeah maybe i'll have got that python installed by then <laughs> cool great stuff thanks robin nice one simon take care Bye-bye.